Hey everybody, welcome to the June edition of Metal Misconduct. I'm Brian Slagle from Metal Blade Records, along here in person this week, this month, with Sean Rourke from NHL.com. What's up, Sean? Hey, it's always nice to visit the mothership. Um, glad we could do it, and uh, things are great. I don't know where the time went, though. How'd we get to June? I don't know. It's fast. It's a, it's a leap year, which is a strange year, so I'm, I'm happy that it's getting over quicker than normal. But you're out here covering, so we're doing this about uh, maybe two weeks ahead of time. So you're out here covering the Kings and the Coyotes, which is probably going to end soon. We're at game three. Yeah, unbelievable. You know, you would think that you'd be making at least two trips out here and uh, three to Phoenix. It looks like it's going to be one and one and home for a while to wait to see what happens in the East. That's crazy. Like. I was thinking, I was talking to somebody yesterday too, how I've never seen a team, talking about the Kings, that went from being very mediocre in the regular season, barely making the playoffs, and then just turning it on like crazy in the playoffs. How is this happening? I don't know, but I will tell you that when I drove up here from LA to do this show, I stopped and got a nice big crow pie for you to eat yeah, exactly. after all our podcasts this year where you badmouth the kings and and dean lombardi and everything else but you know to me they just they peaked at the right time they were supposed to be a good team you know they figured a lot of things out i'm really impressed with the way that they pressure the puck they've made phoenix which was a top three team in the league look silly in their own end they can't complete two passes in a row because the, the kings are so aggressive and going after them and then you know on the rare occasion that he needs to be there jonathan quick has been ridiculous you know i was looking up he's given up 10 goals in his last 10 games and i was looking up because the kings are probably going to win this series i was looking up who played on that 93 team and who i could call up and talk to and their goalies if you remember were kelly uh, rudy kelly rudy and uh rob stauber oh that's right rob stauber kelly rudy made it to game five of the Stanley Cup Finals. His save percentage was 8.78. His goals against average was 3.52. John Quick is a 9.52 right now, and his goals against average is under 1.5. That tells you all you need to know about hockey. Well, two different styles of hockey now. First of all, the goalie pads. I watched, actually, they showed on uh, Fox Sports West a couple weeks ago the game seven of the Kings... Leafs series back in 93, the series before they went to the finals. And uh, you watch Kelly, you watch both Rudy and uh, Felix Potvin, the other goaltender for Toronto, and their pads were so small and different game. It was wide open then, you know, now it's, I I don't want to say clutching or grabbing, it's more positional now. And I was, you know, one thing I wanted to get into too, maybe, well, we'll wait about the, the, how hockey's played now and changes that people are talking about next year. But it's just kind of crazy when you see how the style is. You watch that game, it's totally wide open, the Gretzky era and all that. Another thing that I thought was really interesting about watching that game was nobody came near Gretzky. He was never hit. Nobody ever got near him. And that's always, you know, I'm, I'm on with Don Cherry about the whole instigator rule because if they had the instigator rule, if they got rid of it again, and, you know, I get why it's there, but I think there's got to be some sort of uh, hybrid, maybe, how they do it. Because now, you know, guys can just hit anybody in the head. And all the stars who are out who have concussions are star players. Back in Gretzky years, you even breathed on him. Somebody's going to come over and beat the heck out of you. Yeah, you know, and you. to me, I think 
the culture has changed so much, you can go back to that rule because you're not, you don't have guys looking to create mayhem. You have guys that know what their job is and they know that if you get too close to Crosby, if you get too close to Claude Giroux, they need to answer for it. They're not going to create the havoc that we saw when we were kids in the seventies, the Bruins and the Flyers, you know, I grew up watching the big bad Bruins and as entertaining as that was, I don't think you can go back to that game, you know, with all, you know, today, but I do think that, you know, I I'm in the same camp you are. I do think you need to give the players more tools to make the game the way they want it, you know, to play it the way they all understand what the rules are and they all understand what the consequences are. And I think that's sometimes why you have a lot of these problems. The guys that make their living kind of on that edge, they know there's no consequences to doing that. Dustin Brown of the Kings is a perfect example. I think in these playoffs, he's been just on the right side of legal almost all the time. (laughs) Barely, but yes, he's right there, but you can go right there when you know, that nobody's going to answer. Nobody's yep. going to call you on the carpet and say, I don't like. Like, you watch the Kings, and they are in Mike Smith's grill after every shot. They get right on the edge of the paint. They're yipping them. They're banging into them. They're knocking them over. They're frustrating them. And, you know, on the rare occasion that the Coyotes push or shove back, off they go to the box. So you have your hands tied. You're a big, burly defenseman, and Dustin Brown's making your goalie crazy and you can't do anything about it. And I understand it's the rules, but you know, if you can do something about it, then he stays maybe three feet away. And the coyotes have no stars to really go after either. That's the other problem is if you're, you know, let's say you're playing Philadelphia, you go after Claude Giroux, or if you're playing Pittsburgh, you go after Sidney Crosby or Malkin. Who do you go after with the coyotes? You go after nobody. You go after Rick Smith. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, yeah. and and a little bit you go after Ekman Larson, and that's what they've been doing too. They've they've made that kid's life miserable in this round, and I mean he's a great player. He's going to be one of the best defensemen in this league for a long time. I think he's going to be the heir apparent more even than Eric Carlson to Nick Lidstrom. But in this series, he's he can't even make a pass. Well, it's interesting because you look at the two you know two defensemen who have been anointed the next great defenseman in this and specifically related to this series Drew Doughty and and Ekman Larson. And Doughty is you know one thing I have to say about him and you know you look at where the Kings run is I mean he's elevated his game to some um, unreal level and it's so unreal that you don't really know that he's playing that well it's, I mean nobody's really talking about him playing that well but he's got the most ice time I think of anybody in the play maybe even in the playoffs and he's playing just phenomenal phenomenal defense I mean the guy's an incredibly talented player anyway yeah, you know, I, I spent a lot of time today before I came up at practice, and a lot of what I talked about with a lot of different people was Drew Doughty's maturation, you know, and it's such an interesting story because he was so good for so long. He came into this league as a superstar. He had a great Olympics as a really young guy, you know. He was a Norse Trophy candidate last year, put points up like crazy, struggled a little bit at the beginning of this year, and the Kings asked him to do some different things. He really butted heads with John Stevens, who's the assistant coach. I mean, really, they did not see eye to eye. And John Stevens was basically grow up. You know, you're a big-time defenseman in this league. Play like a man. Like, prepare yourself. It's not about going out there and, and using your skills. It's about understanding what you need to do before the game to use those skills. It's film. It's talking to your defense partner. It, it's 
talking in game. You know, he was just kind of an island to himself. He was like, I'm so good, I can do this. And he didn't want to work. It's just like a band, you know, if, if you're a great guitar player, maybe you don't want to work with the rhythm section, your band's not going to be very good because there's nothing there. So that's what he had to learn to do. And, and he learned it. And, you know, and now he's at the point where he's like, it's tangible. He, it's paying off. And he's like, this is, you know, and you can't discount that he's got Rob Scuderi right next to him who won a cup, yep. mentored a lot of guys in Pittsburgh, and is an absolute steal for Dean Lombardi at the money he's making, yep. you know. And you got Willie Mitchell who has been through a ton of wars and, and understands that. So they have those guys there that sit right next to him and, you know, are in his ear all the time and tell him this is what you do to be a great defenseman or a great player. I mean, they've been around great players. Yeah, and, and look, I'm the first to admit I was wrong about, I think, everything <laughs> going to the Kings this year. Uh, you know, I didn't like anything that they were doing, and I didn't like the hire of Daryl Sutter, but Sutter's been phenomenal. I always liked him as a player and a coach. I thought he was good, but he was so out of it. I mean, he's you know, working on a farm. All of a sudden, he comes back, and he's somehow able to relate to these players and get them to this level. And, you know, clearly everything that the Kings have done is, has worked out well. I mean, these young kids coming up, Voyanov is playing well, and Martinez. Is, I mean, this is really kind of what Dave, what, Dave, what Dean Lombardi, what do you want to call it by his real name? What Dean Lombardi tried to do with the Kings is build from the back up. You know, they have the goaltending. They have probably the best defense core, certainly the best defense core in the league now, looking at the playoffs. And that's what he's tried to do. And now, finally, the forwards are coming around and, and playing better. You know, Kopitar and I mean, especially Dustin Brown. I mean, he's a, ever since they floated him out as the trade bait at the trade deadline, and then they retracted it real quick. And I know that really pissed him off. But he's been a different on a different level since then. And the playoffs, he's at a, this unreal level that I don't think anybody ever expected to have from Dustin Brown. And, you know, to me, one of the biggest things is is Jeff Carter, and he hasn't been great in the playoffs. He's had that one good game where he had the hat trick in, in game two of this series. But what, he, what he's been able to do is he slotted everybody else where they belong. You know, now Jarrett Stoll is their number three, and they look a lot like the Penguins. You know, the the Penguins had a good goalie, they, they had a pretty good D, and they had a three-center attack. That nobody- but the Kings have had that all year. I mean, before even before Jeff Carter got here, I mean, they still had Kopitar, Richards, and Stoll as one, two, three all, all year long. But when, when Carter came, and I don't think he's really done much. He, it, Jeff, I mean, he, he look, he he fills his spots, but I think he's had three hat trick games all year and like sixteen goals total through the playoffs. So he's really played like three good games yeah. the entire year. But you know, he plays them when he needs to play them, I suppose. And he gives them a little bit more depth because now you got the other guy on the wing, and everybody kind of slots down a little bit. And let's not forget, Dustin Penner is playing out of his tree. I mean, he's but he not- was all, he was always a good. I mean, when he I mean. When he was in Anaheim and they won the cup, he was phenomenal. And even when he was in Edmonton, he was good for a while. And I don't know, I guess he had a lot of personal problems this year and those yeah. seem to be over, so maybe that's part of it. Maybe Daryl Sutter somehow was able to figure out how to get him to, to come to the party a little bit more. But, and, I mean, forget him. Like, go down the road. Dwight King. Yeah. <laughs> He's got four goals. He's leading the Kings in goal scoring. It's uh, one of those things where... Everything fell into place for them. The first round, they played Vancouver, no Sedin. Second round, they played St. Louis, no Halak, no Peter Angelo. And now they're playing Phoenix, and they've obviously got a lot of confidence. And Phoenix, I think, I read something today where even the players were, were satisfied by getting this far. Hey, we got this far. Nobody thought we'd get this far. And now they're kind of, well, we're happy that we got this far. And the Kings clearly want to go further. 
Yeah, and you know, I mean, part of that again is the culture. They don't the the Coyotes don't have a lot of guys that have been very deep in the playoffs. They have Whitney. They have a couple other guys that have gotten to the third and fourth rounds. The the game gets very different. Like the playoffs are one thing, and when you're into your final four, it's a different thing. There's a different price to be paid than there is to win a second round series, to win a third round series. And the Kings have more of those guys. You know, they they have guys that have done it. They have guys that understand what the process is going to be and they have guys to walk the guys that haven't done it through and I don't think the Coyotes have that so I think you know this series came too fast at them they've never been able to get up to speed they've never been able to hit the ground running and say okay we're in a fight we're in a it's a fist fight at this point we are going to impose our will impose our will on them or they're going to impose it on us and the Kings delivered that first knockout blow and the Coyotes never got up. Like, they never figured out how to pick themselves up. Like, they were like, oh, man, they this is a tough team. But you know what? You figure it out. You you work through it, and you make it into a long series, and you just give yourself more time for, for your coaches. Tippett's a great coach, I, you know, and I, I firmly believe that if maybe they could have won one of those games, you know, one or two, this is a completely different series because then they have time. They have time, especially two days off between games three and four. They have time to figure out things, and 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 it's all about adjustments at this level. The way that they play hockey now, positionally and systems, and you know, the differences that the Devils in their first two games against the Rangers were, you know, they were subtle, but they did things differently. They changed personnel a little bit, and they they just did things a little differently. They won the second game, and that's going to be a long series. So now the Kings are in the Stanley Cup Finals. Can they win? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people think they're going to win. I mean, you talk Vegas to, does. They 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 even before this series started, they were the odds-on favorite in Vegas. You know, uh, Bruce Boudreau, and this won't make uh, Duck fans happy at all. So I don't see anybody that can beat him. Um, you know, I think I think the Rangers are a more talented version of the Phoenix Coyotes. They have as good a goaltender in Lundqvist. They have a better D. I, you know, you talk about the Kings having the best D, and I think they probably do because they go a little deeper. But the Rangers D is pretty, oh, yeah. I mean, pretty Mc, good. McDonough and they're phenomenal, and they're, they're young. They're, they're all yep. they're all young, and uh, you know they got they got a couple of game changers and and Gabrick and you know Callahan and Richards, um, but they don't they don't roll like the Kings do. And I think when you get deep in a playoffs, if you can roll 6D and you can roll four lines, it's going to pay a huge difference. That's why I like the Devils more. So Eastern Conference, um, well, right as we stand now, it's one-to-one. And obviously by the time you guys hear this, it'll be game five, right? Six? Maybe, maybe this no, it'll, be it'll be decided. The final should open uh, Memorial Day weekend. Got it. Out so, east. how do we see this one? This is a tough one. I, I, all my picks this year have been wrong. If you go back and listen to everything, the only thing I said that was actually somewhat right was that the Devils were my dark horse pick because the playoffs set up well for them. They had an easy first round against Florida, and then they were going to face the winner of Philly Pittsburgh, which was going to be a war. So that team was going to be out. So they've had a pretty easy run through, and they look pretty good right now. They do, and and Philly Pittsburgh wasn't as big a war, at least toll wise, as you thought it was going to be. Because a lot of those games were. Well, I don't know physically, but if you look, but if you watched any of those games, the pace of those oh, games pace was, was fifty was... times more than any. I mean, whatever team came out of it was going to be burnt out because they were playing at such a high level. No other, none of these other series is even close to that level. 
Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't like the way that Philly, and I like Philly. I like them as a team. I'm not a big fan of the franchise, but I liked them as a team this year. And I was really disappointed in, in a, what they did, you know, five games lost four straight yep. and B how they reacted when it was over, you know, like you had guys saying, well, the, the devil's never physically engaged us. They never bought after the whistle, like the penguins did. Like we couldn't get up for yeah. these games. Well, you That's the problem you face. I mean, uh, going into that flyer, Penguin series it was two of the three best teams in the league arguably at that point and it was such a high level there there was naturally going to be just a, a down thing it looked like after they won game one they kind of would put it together but then they could never get it together and remember the Flyers are still really young with like eight or nine rookies on that team yeah. and when they were faced with some sort of difficulty in that series they, they yeah they couldn't they just couldn't get it up and I think they were just so fried and burnt from that Pittsburgh series that, you know, you've, it was going to be tough for them to get motivated for the Devils series. And the Devils play a sleepy style of hockey, too, which was also didn't bode well for the Flyers who, you know, they want to, they want to skate, they want to ramp it up, they want it to be high tempo. And the, the Devils can play it slow. They can, they can forecheck well, but they can play it slow. But anyway. Yeah, but they, it, yeah and they had, the Flyers had a couple of huge problems. And one was Team Marino was hurt, Yaga was yep, hurt, yep. you know, and... Briz was Briz. I mean, he gave up. He wasn't the problem in the second round. He was probably their best player, but he gave up one. Uh, but bad he was goal. hurt. He was hurt too. So yeah, um, but yeah, he we gave don't up. know to what extent because nobody will say. But I mean, he didn't. You know, he didn't go play for Russia in the World Championships, and you know they were begging him to do that. So. Yeah. But anyway, so let's move on to now, and we got the Devils and the Rangers, and the Devils. Devils are looking. Looking good. I guess game three is going to be interesting. I think whoever wins that game is going to have probably the best chance to, to win that series, though. Yeah, because the pressure gets to be so much now. Like, you you start seeing the end, you know, and you're at the end. Not only do you start seeing the end of your season, but it's the end of the season. Like, you're you're there. You, you win a couple more games. You're where you want to be your whole life. For some guys, it's going to be their only chance. And so every game becomes bigger and it becomes more magnified. And, and the mental, just the mental drag is is so taxing. One thing, though, I'll say about that series is I got to believe, you know, Tortorella's been there. He's won a cup in Tampa. Never, I've never been very impressed with DeBoer when he was in Florida. I thought he was, I thought they were a very good team, and I wasn't so sure he was a good coach. But clearly, he's done very well in New Jersey. But I would have to think that if you look at the coaching matchup and you, you know, every, throw everything else away, that Tortorella's got to have something on, on, uh, on him. But the Rangers got to be pretty burnt. I mean, two seven-game series, not easy. No, and two seven-game series with a short bench. Yep. You know, they don't they don't use all their players. Stu Bickle, uh, they're 60. He plays maybe three minutes a game. You know, so they roll those other guys and, and they just beat on them. You know, Girardi just plays all the time. And and same thing with their with their forward lines. They don't really use their fourth line very much. Mike Rupp and, and those guys, they play a couple of minutes. The Devils, they roll they roll all 20 guys or 18 they roll all 18 skaters and you know i think they're a little bit fresher they've played a few less games but they've played some longer overtime games but you know i think they're a little fresher and the, you're right the coaching thing is going to be really fun to watch because the pressure is going to continue to build tortorella knows how to deal with it if you remember again going back to the flyers when tortorella was in tampa bay they were in a war with with Philadelphia in the Eastern Conference Final before they went to the Stanley Cup Final. And I think it was Game 3, Tortorella picked a fight with Hitchcock in the media. 
Mm-hmm. And it was an ugly fight. Oh, I mean, yes. it went on for days. Mm-hmm. Totally on purpose. Of course. You talk to guys from that Tampa Bay team, and they were like, what a brilliant move. Oh, yeah. He took all the pressure off of us. All of a sudden, they weren't asking us why we weren't playing. They weren't asking LeCavier why he wasn't scoring. All they wanted to talk about was Tortorella and the fight. You know, they wanted to see, you know, what's he like? What's he doing? And he's doing the same thing now. Exactly. If you watch his press conferences, they are a complete gong show. Yeah. He doesn't talk. He's hostile to the media. Yep. He had one the other day, seven questions. 31 words to answer seven questions. This is on a national stage and he's not doing it. He can be very loquacious loquacious when he wants to. He's not being gruff because he wants to be gruff. He's being gruff because he needs to. He wants to be the story. He wants to take the the pressure away from all the players and it's working because if you look at Twitter and all this stuff, everybody's like, what an a-hole he is and da-da-da-da-da. And they count the words and, oh, oh, he was was much more talkative today and, and like, they just analyze it. Like, let it go. Like, in this day and age, you don't really need the coach ever. Like, you don't. If you cover a team, you don't need the coach. There's other ways to get things done. You know, if he that's what he wants to do, you just don't you don't buy into it. But everybody buys into it, and now the Rangers are. So I, I, I'm very curious to see if he has a, a rabbit he's going to pull out of his hat. Oh, I'm sure. Because those guys have a history. Oh, yeah. If you remember all the fights during oh, the yes. season and Tortorella telling DeBoer to shut up and, yep. you know, accusing him of being the guy that dressed all the goons when he put Stu Bickle mm-hmm. at center to take the open and draw <laughs> in Madison Square Garden. Oh, yeah. You know, so they have, they don't like each other and there's a lot of history there. It's funny because like uh, uh, when all this was going down a couple of days ago, Aaron Andrews was, was saying, because she started in Tampa and she was saying, oh, I learned so much from Tortorella, yada, yada, yada. And Tortorella's probably going, shut up, shut up, Aaron. Yeah. And he is. <laughs> let, me, let, me be an, let me be an a-hole so the story is about me. Yeah, but he, he, he is, and you can learn a lot from him if you'll wade through it. And you know what? I think sometimes he has trouble turning off the way he coaches with other people. Like, everything's a test. Like, he's always testing his players. You know, he benched Gabrick in game two, even though they needed a goal. You know, he benched Chris Kreider, even though he scored some huge goals for them. And he always wants to see what that guy's going to do. And I think sometimes he forgets when he's dealing with the media that he's not dealing with professional athletes. And I think sometimes he just tests people. I think like he goes at them and he's like, don't coach the team. That's a silly question. And he wants you to go back. And I think when you go back, then he'll, he'll treat you with more respect next time. But if you just, if you just throw up your hands and say, ah, this guy, he's like, I got you. You're done. I have no use for you. Jim Rome tweeted something from this uh, DJ guy. And you can, if you look at my Twitter at Brian Slagle, you can find it there as well, where he, uh, he did this whole like little, um, uh, mixtape with all the Tortorella, you know, next question, next question. It was really funny. So, uh, yeah, people are making, but it's becoming this big deal. And like you said, that's plays into their hands. And all the other interesting thing too, if you go back to when Tampa won the Stanley cup, they were down going into game six, three games to two. They had to win game six in, in Calgary and game seven in Tampa just to get the cup. So um, was that? Yeah, that, that's, that's right. right. And, and, and I knew they were down there, but I couldn't remember if it was Calgary and Tampa because I, I was actually at game five in Tampa, yeah. the game that they lost, and they went back and they won those two games. So he's, you know, he knows what he's doing, and clearly if he's benching players, he's obviously he's, he's had this team the whole year. He clearly knows how to play with these guys' heads. Yeah. So it, it must work. It's going to be fat that, that dynamic of that series is really fascinating, watching Tortorella, because I think he's a brilliant coach. So. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's great for that region. You're living out here, you know, you, you might not understand all of it or, or no be, one able, cares to, out be here. able to feel it, but it, it's a big deal, you know, and everybody says the devils don't have any fans and, and all that stuff, but it is a big deal. And there's history. There's a lot of history there. I mean, I'm going to date myself now. That was the first playoff series I ever covered. That was the first playoff year I ever covered was when they met in 94 in the Eastern Conference Final. And that, I've covered hockey for almost 20 years now, every playoff since then. That is still one of the best playoff series I've ever, ever covered. It was ridiculously good. It was played at a ridiculously good level. That wasn't the trapping Devils. That was no, the no, Devils no. that had scored 300 and changed goals. That was back when I had season tickets to the Devils. I went. To, I was at the, uh, the, the infamous donut game, yeah. too, so... <laughs> yeah, but uh, that was an incredible playoff series. Like I yeah. had to write a little primer to kind of reintroduce it. You know, this is because there's a you forget when you're a fan as long as we are, you forget there is a whole generation of fans that don't understand this rivalry. Like to us, it's it's modern history. To a lot of the fans of this game, if it didn't happen in 2005. Oh, yeah. forward it didn't happen i mean it's like us talking about the hartford whalers you know like that's ancient <laughs> history for us but that's how kids today look at that 94 they're like stefan mateau claude lemieux stefan richet who are these guys well interesting too i think part of that reason is that you know now everything's in hd and you watch in hd it's hard to go back and watch these old games like i watched the the like i said earlier i watched that king's uh, leafs game but man the quality was just so awful so yeah. these, i don't think these kids today want <laughs> Want to go back and go? What is this? Nineteen fifties? Yeah, looks so awful there. But yeah, no, it's 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 great for hockey in the metropolitan area because it does take second or third stage. I mean, the Knicks are out. The Mets are better than people thought, but they're not great. Nobody has any high hopes from the Yankees. Aren't playing well. Um, there's nobody to really take the back page from hockey. If if this series is a great series, it will grow the game in New York. Where I don't care what anybody says. If you have a strong game in New York, it helps the whole league. Well, I hope it's a better series. Game Game one was good. I thought it was a good game. Game two was pretty boring. It was hard for me. I taped it and watched it later. It was hard for me to get through the whole thing, but we'll see. So your pick as to who's going to win this, that series? I think the Devils are going to win it. I think they're going to make up for history, and they're going to win it in seven games. Not double overtime, I don't think, but <laughs> uh, they're... I, I just think that they're a little bit fresher, and I think they just have a little bit more offense. You know, you look at people complain about the negative teams in the playoffs. You know, this has become the shot-blocking playoffs. This has become the cynical. Those teams never, almost never win. You know, all those teams, when you go back and you look at the history and you try and point out the teams that have changed the game in ways that we don't want it changed, they, they have some success. They never win four rounds. So we've now figured out that, and of course, when you're listening to this, we could be completely wrong, like I've been all season on all my predictions, that the Devils and the Kings are going to be the Stanley Cup Finals. So how's that going to play out? I think it's going to play out awesome. I think they're somewhat mirror images of Couldn't themselves. it be super boring, though? I don't know. I, I mean, anything could, but the way I, <laughs> the way I see it is, is both teams want to pressure the puck. Both teams want to take away possession. They they don't sag back. They don't wait for you to get the blue line. Like there's nothing in this playoffs that's frustrated me more. And it was the Kings Ranger, uh, the Kings, the Capitals Rangers series, when guys could stand at the blue line five on five 
and pass the puck back and forth five, six times like it was a tennis match. You're playing five on five. You can't get a guy out to the blue line to put them under pressure to make them make a choice. Like they just kept passing back and forth. They would fake the slap shot, see where the shot blocker went. I don't have anything back out the other way. And the Rangers would just sag back and then the Capitals would sag back when it was at the other end. And you're like, make them, to me, the excitement in the game comes when you put a, when you put a person in possession of the puck under duress and you make them make a split second decision, at least half the time they're going to make a bad decision and that's where offense comes from. Well, that was the interesting thing about the Cavs series was I remember watching one of the games and the Cavs had it had the Rangers hemmed in and they kept passing the puck back to the point. Mike Green had three times where he could have taken a really good shot, wouldn't take it. And he passed the puck. They just kept passing the puck around. It's like, take the shot. I know there's a guy in the middle there, but take the shot. Make, make the risk. It wasn't like somebody was so up on him that you knew it was going to bounce off his pad and go back. So it was almost like the Caps were afraid. They So, so many blocked shots, yeah. they were afraid to take. And especially Mike Green, who it's a whole other story, but it he gets, was afraid to take the shot. Gets in your head, you know, and, and that's the thing. Like, everybody's like, oh, the shot blocking's taken away from the game. A, to me, it is one of the bravest things you can do. And winning the Stanley Cup is about bravery. It's about bravery as much as it is about skill. Like, you need to sacrifice everything to win the cup. So, I never want to see shot blocking taken out of it. But it's your responsibility. If you're going to play a team that's going to be cynical and is going to do those things, it's your responsibility to figure out a way to beat it. Like, you can't just throw up your hands and say, you know what? The Rangers block a lot of shots. I can't win. You know, play the puck off the boards. Well, that's what the coaches need to do. I mean, you, you can devise. I mean, the coaching's, coaching has gotten so advanced now that, you know, we we're talking about this earlier where, you know, no matter what system is in place, because people are saying, well, maybe we should go back to take you know, having the red line be in. And I think it was Fedotenko actually was saying, you know, like, look, you can change all the rules you want. You can take out the trapezoid. You can reinforce the, the, the red line. Coaches are going to find a way to get around that. And they're going to find a way to play defensive hockey because that's ultimately what wins a hockey games. So they're going to find a way around all of these things. So no matter what you do, the game is going to be the game is going to be decided by the coaches, and it's so sophisticated now that they can play these positional games, and that's what you're going to get. The only way it's going to change is if the NHL decides that they're going to change the rules in terms of penalties and call. You know, if you and they're saying like you can't leave your feet to block a shot. I don't know the block, shot blocking is a, a problem. I think the problem is more the positional hockey, where you know you can impede somebody's progress just by being in their way if you're not doing it intentionally, and that's a big problem because if you if you almost if you do like in the NBA where they have illegal defenses, you know, you could do that in the NHL and call. It would be difficult because I'm not sure the referees can comprehend as much in, in hockey as they can in basketball because it's a fluid moving game. But you could call illegal defenses there and, and give a penalty or you could imp- move this impeding or, you know, you can't, you know, hold on to somebody's stick if they're, you know, in the shooting. And there's a lot of ways to open up the game. I think that's the only way it's going to happen as opposed to them changing, you know, some of these rules, which I agree with what Fedotenko was saying that you just change it the coach is going to find a way around it anyway. Then that's his job. I mean, look, they brought in Daryl Sutter in, in LA to win. Like that, that was his mandate. Hey, you're going to come in. We need you to get us in the playoffs. Every time they have a game at the Staples Center, it's like $3 million. Like mm-hmm. there's, this is, the owners of the Kings don't care how they win. They don't care whether they win. I don't think the owners of the Kings even care if they win. I mean, Craig has got so much money. He doesn't really care, but they well, care if people are in the building for sure. Yeah, but people are going to be in the building if they're winning. Like, of course. So 
Well, I don't know. They've been not winning for a long time, and they're still in the building. But, yeah, but I get what you're saying. Though, like, yeah. so the coach's job, like, when my boss tells me to do something, I do it. You yep. know, if he tells me to write shorter stories, I don't say, well, I think that my 1,500-word opus on uh, Cam Jansen is going to drive page views on the site. Like, I say, how short would you like me to write them? So when some coach who probably has some very offensive ideas, you know, says – his owner comes to him and says, listen, if we don't get to the second round of the playoffs, you're in a lot of trouble. What's he going to do? He's going to say, if we play this way, I got a really good chance of getting to the second round of the playoffs. If I play the way even I want to play, I might not make the playoffs. We'll be entertaining as anything. The Tampa Bay Lightning, whew, were they fun to watch this year. They never made the party. They never did. Like, so which is better? You know, you could say, because a lot of Capitals fans said, God, this year was awful. Well, I think the problem with some of this stuff is just people don't have patience. I think the Caps, when they were the high-flying Caps scoring a lot of goals, if they had more patience, they eventually would have gotten to the point where they could win. They just needed to do what the Penguins did when they won the Cup, or stay, stay wide open, play offensive, but you've got to play a little bit of defense. And the problem that Caps had, they, they couldn't even play a little bit of defense. They, they didn't have the defenders there to play, and you can't, you know, the way things are now, you can't, it's hard to get in a track meet because the other team isn't going to engage you, and that's what happened with the Caps, especially when they couldn't play play defense. And they just, you know, they just, they just every, because everything is like this season, the season, the season, the season. It's like if you don't win the Stanley Cup, it's a season is a failure, and they have to be make all these changes. And nobody's patient enough to. That's why there's a different Stanley Cup winner every year. Nobody's patient to build a dynasty anymore because you got to make wholesale changes all the time if you don't win. And you know, you'll see you've seen that with a lot of teams now. As I just said, that's why there's a different Stanley Cup winner every year now. Yeah, and you can't really plan a dynasty now because of the salary cap and free agency. I mean, you look at a team like Nashville and they've built and they've built and they've built really patiently. And they're at the point now where they could win the cup every year. They have an elite goaltender. They have a couple of scorers. They have the best two defensemen in the league with Klein coming up, who's, who's very good. And, but, they may not have all those guys next year. Nope. You know, one's a restricted a one's a restricted free agent, the other one's an unrestricted free agent. And even if they spend to the cap, like I don't know if they can keep all those guys. And then if they do, what about the next guy? You know, like you can never unless you're really smart and you catch a lot of breaks. Like Kenny Holland in in Detroit has caught a lot of breaks, and he's been able to keep his core together, and he's been able to surround it with some guys. I, I mean, obviously, you need some scouting talent, and he has it. But, you know, it's almost impossible to keep a team together for five or six years now. Yeah, and plus, you know, you I think the, the, the model now is what the Blackhawks did when they won the Cup was let's just get all these guys who are going to come in and let's not pay them a lot. And then as soon as you win the Cup, everybody wants somebody. Same thing happened in Anaheim. I mean, Anaheim lost, you know, Dustin Penner got all that money to go to Edmonton when he probably should have stayed there. So, yeah, you're, once you win a Cup, all of a sudden you're going to lose players. What happened, that's what happened in Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh's biggest problem is their defense. They lost Scuderi, they lost Gill, and they lost... Um, Gonchar, and they didn't really replace any of those guys with guys at that same level or the same aesthetic. So, you know, once you win the cup, you lose all these players because, yeah, somebody else is going to come along and give them a bunch of money. So, yeah, it's difficult. You can keep the core together like what Pittsburgh's done, but, you know, they still only won one cup so far, even though, you know, I mean, look, those guys are still young. But 
Yeah, and and people are already ready to give up on, on the Penguins. I know. Well, they're going to trade windows, Jordan the, Stahl now. Their windows closed. And their house at window closed. Yeah, the windows closed. Like Crosby's what twenty five, and Malkin's twenty six, and Flurry's twenty five. Yeah, and same thing with the Cavs. I mean, all those players are still young. Backstrom and Ovechkin, they're still in their mid mid twenties. I mean, they're not even close to being as good as they could be. But yeah, it's should be interesting. Well, we'll see. Unfortunately, there's going to be a long lockout, so this is going to enjoy the hockey while you can because you may not see it for a while. You're looking at me like I hope not. Yeah, no, and uh, you know nobody knows what's going to happen, but I, you know, there's so many. To me, there's so many positives happening that I I think that's going to be kind of be the the yin and the yang, so to speak. One would hope so. I mean, but the NBA, you know, they locked out when you thought that they wouldn't do that. So. Yeah, but uh, I thought they were kind of in a different position. Like the, the, to me, the NHL's on the way up. Like yes. it's it's after as losing popular, an entire season. Yeah, and to it's a lockout. it's as popular as it's ever been. It's on TV. You can find it on TV. Every playoff game was on TV this year, and that was huge. You know, people can actually follow the stories. Unless you're in a hotel room, then it's a yeah. little more difficult. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, but so I, I think those influences are there that are going to kind of negate so. some of them so we'll see what happens but you know what there's still there's still going to be a whole finals to be played before that this happens correct that's why i'm saying enjoy it while you can yeah and and it's going to be i, I don't care who plays in it it's going to so be so you fantastic. say the kings are going to win stanley cup no i i think if the devils get there you think the devils will win yeah if the devils right. get there i think they'll win I'm going to come full circle and say the Kings are going to parade down. Oh, that's it. It's over now. Down down uh, Figueroa Street in L.A. with the Stanley Cup, which would be insane if that happens. Maybe they can do it right behind the bike race. They could bring the bike race back. That's going to be here. Yeah, it's going to be here for game <laughs> for game four. It's just turn. It's like it's like Armageddon here in L.A. this week. It's always Armageddon in L.A. It took me four hours to go see Rammstein in Anaheim yesterday to get there. So. But yeah, I mean, they're doing like three, uh, three events in like 12 hours there for, I mean, it'll already pass when we do this, but uh, they're doing the bike race ends at like 1130, right at LA Live, then the Kings play at noon and the Clippers are at 730, but they can go as late as 1030 if the Kings Kings go into into quadruple overtime. Go into overtime. I mean, it's just a crazy, crazy setup. But if you're a sports fan, wow. The the day before is Kings, I mean, sorry, uh, Clippers and Lakers so the Clippers and the Lakers are playing two game, playing two games Saturday, two, and then the Clippers and the Kings are playing two games on Sunday, and yeah. this crazy bike thing. Yeah, well, and, welcome to LA, my friend. And you know what I learned that I didn't know is, of course, when there's hockey and then there's basketball, there's this huge arena changeover that has to. Go oh on. yes, but and the ice will be lovely. Yeah, for that. But when there's basketball and basketball. There's still a changeover. Oh yeah, two Cause, separate courts because the you know, two separate courts, two separate seating plans. Because mm-hmm. the Kings, uh, the Lakers have more seats near the mm-hmm. court because of their celebrity clientele mm-hmm. that doesn't yep. go to the Clipper games, I guess. And uh, so they're still looking at like a two-hour changeover on that doubleheader. Yep, exactly. So those people at Stable Center are very busy, and the, the ice is going to be horrible. You should you should send them. We should do it right now. You should cut them a mixtape. Yeah. Send it down there <laughs> to get them through. Cannibal Corpse twenty four seven. Get them. Keep them motivated <laughs> and working. Yeah, absolutely. Craziness. Well, I think that'll do it because we've talked about all the playoff series and who's going to win the cup. And we played a lot of good music. And as usual, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for coming in studio live. Well. 
Let's live now. We'll be live when you hear it. I wish I wish I could every month. This is fantastic. I, I'm telling you, to be here in Metal Blade where the magic happens <laughs> is uh, it's a special treat. So screw the LA traffic. I slogged through and I made it out here. Good man. Good man. So follow Sean at what's your Twitter handle again? I can never remember. It's, <laughs> it's S Rourke underscore NHL. And of course, he's running NHL.com, so you can read all of his articles on NHL.com, and anything that's on there has been anointed by you, so it's yes, good stuff. Yes, yes. It's so, got the papal dispensation. That's right. Uh, so check it out. We will talk to you guys next month, and the, by the time we talk to you, there will be a Stanley Cup winner. Yeah, so and we'll be we'll looking, if we're still talking hockey, we'll be looking to the future with the draft we'll and have, everything else. We'll have to talk a little bit of hockey. We'll have to definitely, we, we, have, to, we have to get our buddy Mike McKenna on again, because I want to talk hockey, and more importantly, IndyCar racing with him. Yeah, and we'll well. have to get Josh Josh Barnett on. He's fighting That's this right. weekend. Josh is fighting tomorrow it's night. Strike so. force. Uh, Vince, Vince, what do you think? Josh is going to win, right? There you go. So there's there's Vince's prediction. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ruin anything by predicting anything to Josh. I'm, he's well, my good, friend. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to I don't want to predict that he's gonna win and, and jinx him. So yeah, good luck to him. Absolutely, he's a good guy. So we will see you guys next month.